Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Joshua chapter 10. And so to set the stage for this scripture is that uh, Joshua and the Israelites have allies within the nation, within the, the territory that they're getting ready to take over. They're in the process of taking dominion. But how many of you know that sometimes uh, the enemy will come against your friends and your allies, okay? So Joshua is in this situation where the kings of the land have risen up to decimate his allies and his friends, okay? And like a good friend, Joshua's like, it is not going down like that, okay? It is not going to be this thing where I'm just going to let you beat up my friends and I'm going to let you beat up my allies. I'm going to gather my army and I'm going to go to my friend's defense. How many of you want a friend like that, you know, when stuff is getting crazy? So verse 7 says, so Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. So I love this verse because what we see is Joshua is on the verge of getting ready to confront not one enemy, not just one small army, but he's getting ready to confront multiple kings and multiple armies, okay? It is like uh, the movie 300, but on steroids, okay? It is insane. He's getting ready. He's gathering his mightiest men, okay? Now, what we understand is that Joshua in this particular scripture is putting it all in the middle of the table, okay? He's not leaving some people behind. He's not only bringing 30% of his troops to the battle. Joshua is in an all or nothing opportunity. Joshua is basically taking everything that he has, and he's saying, I am willing to bet on the word of the Lord. Because here's what happens is as he's getting ready to go, the Lord tells him to not be afraid of his enemy because he has given them the victory. What I want to encourage you tonight is that God has given you a supernatural victory against impossible odds, okay? It does not matter if you find yourself in situations that you feel totally out of control, where you're saying, you know, I've done everything right. I've checked all of the boxes. I've been to church every single time. The doors are open, but I find myself in this season of impossibility. I find myself around people that are acting crazy and are coming at me. And I want you to know that even in the midst of your shaking season, That God wants you to know that he's given you a victory. He has given you a complete victory. And what he's doing is he's saying, I don't want you to think that you're a victim to your circumstances. How many of you know it's super easy to feel that way? You know, because when things are not fair, I'm a justice person. Any justice people we got in here? Listen, if there's a bag of M&Ms, okay, you will get the same number of M&Ms as I get, okay? You will not get a single one more. You'll not get a single one less. If there's a one with a peanut in the inside, we're splitting it down the middle like Solomon. We're doing everything by the book, and we're doing it fair, okay? If there's only one toaster strudel in the box, we both starve, okay? That's, that's fair, okay? Now, here's the thing is that uh, my son Levi, he loves toaster strudels, okay? And I love toaster strudels. 
And I'm going to tell you the truth is that we have to make sure that there's justice because otherwise there's strife in the house, right? So we got to make sure everything's fair. I am a justice person. But here's the thing is that if you live in this world, if you live in this society, there are plenty of examples of injustice. There are plenty of examples where people do things out of self-interest, uh, at the expense of other people. And what happens is that when you're there in the midst of it and you are the one that has to suffer because people are acting crazy, it can cause you to feel like you're a victim to your circumstances. It can cause you to feel like, oh, my goodness, it's just not this again. If only people would act right, then I wouldn't have this gray hair. I wouldn't have to tag, can't walk around with this machete to just come and cut people because of their craziness and defend myself, you know. It's, it's a crazy experience, okay. Y'all, I've been spending, like, the last few weeks in Arizona, and people walk around with these machetes to be able to, like, cut down, like, random wildlife and, like, cactuses for hydration. That's what I envisioned in my head. Um... It's just absolutely insane. So anyways, that's like a, another message for another day. Um, but here's the interesting thing about Joshua is that Joshua in this season and in this situation, he's laying it all on the line because he says, okay, I understand that God has promised me. He has promised the nation of Israel, every single Israelite here, that the promised land is theirs. And I have done everything that I know to do to fight the good fight, to do everything God has called me to do. And yet it seems like the harder I am fighting, the greater the obstacles become. And what you see is that the enemy is coming against Joshua over territory that he has already won the victory in. You see, because here's the thing about the enemy is that just because you have taken territory, what the enemy will always do is he's going to try to cause situations to come into your life to rob you of the things that you had victory in before because the enemy always wants you to lose ground and he wants you to be a victim, okay? But how many of you know you will refuse to be a victim this week? You will refuse to allow these circumstances to define you because you will be defined by the voice of the Lord and what he has prophesied over you, not on what the enemy has destined for your life to be, okay? And so Joshua moves in spite of this because look at how crazy this situation is. He's already won this battle, and yet the battle is coming again. His friends are being attacked because of what Joshua has done in the land. Now, on top of this, Joshua has to take his entire army and march throughout the night to be able to get to the point and battlefield that he has to face his enemies. Talk about unfair. Joshua has to pull an all-nighter. He has to get all his people. They have to march all throughout the night. You know how exhausting it is to march? It is so exhausting. That's why I never went to military school. I would not have survived. That's why I didn't join the Marines, even though they told me. I was like, oh, no, it's my shoulder. It's sore. I can't join, you know. It's mostly because I dislike cardio a whole lot. Okay, this one time I joined cross country in high school, I got lost. <laughs> horrible, horrible experience. I went with Grace, my daughter. We went on the lake. We were, we were staying at a cabin on, on this beautiful lake. And so we took the paddle boat out, right? And I was like, I see this island on the horizon. We're going to go to that island. Forty minutes later, I'm just like, we're not going to make it. We're not going to survive. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm just getting, like, resentful at my daughter. Like, why aren't you pedaling, like, harder? Come on. 
We're not going to make it. You know, the wind starts blowing. We're going sideways, you know. But there's one point where we're literally going in the opposite direction. I'm saying, God, you have truly abandoned me in my hour of need. I don't like cardio. I don't like exercise. My legs were sore. Uh, my hamstrings were cramping. It was a miserable thing. And so I can only imagine that Joshua now has to reclaim the land that he's got. And he's got like a 50-mile cardio session before that. Could you imagine? If I was the children of Israel, I'd be mad. I'd be upset. Like, I'm not even going. I'm not even going. I'm going to become a shepherd. I'm just, this is not fair, you know? And yet Joshua moves through. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I believe that what God has done over these last few sessions, because yet last night what we did was we broke off the assignment of rejection and shame off of your life, okay? Because here's the thing is that one of the greatest battles that you're going to fight is getting free from rejection, getting free from shame, because those things are the things that will stand in the way of you being able to hear God's voice accurately and clearly. Because if we didn't deal with that, if you don't break free from that, what happens is that everything that God is trying to say to you is twisted and seen through the lens of victimization and pain. So every single opposition, every single thing that comes at you is not necessarily because the enemy doesn't like you and doesn't want you to realize your potential. You're looking at it through rejection, and when you look at it, you say, oh, it's because I'm broken. And it's because this was what I should always expect in my life. But you see, when God breaks that rejection off of your life, when Jesus became the object of rejection, when he died on the cross and he did everything, he broke you free from one of the major weapons of the enemy that would get you to look at yourself incorrectly. And so now, this morning, we were talking about how God wants to communicate to you. God wants to share his voice to you. God wants to release everything, that his heart to you, and, and that it's common for him to be able to do that. And when that happens and you're free from rejection, what happens is you're surrounded by a reality that is birthed from the heart of the Father rather than birthed out of the circumstances that you find yourself in. You see, what happens is the reason why God wants to communicate with you is that he's literally painting your reality with his words, right? We understand that in Genesis chapter 2, God created the, or in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that you see around you, and he used what? What did he use? His words. You see, words are important to God because they are what he uses to create the reality around you. He, is, he uses his voice to be able to create who you are. He uses his voice to develop you and, and to mold you and to form you. And could you imagine the reason why God uses his voice is because it is the currency that begins to birth something out of nothing. And you know what? Your life may seem like nothing. Your circumstances right now with what you're trying to go through seems like nothing. You feel like you're obscure and you have no substance. And yet that's why it's so important that when we hear God's voice, he speaks things into existence that we don't think are there. You become a tangible manifestation of the creative aspects of the uncreated one. It's incredible. It's so cool. And so this is what happens is Genesis chapter 2. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man. And it's God's intention, all of creation, everything that's around you is because he wanted it for you to be able to rule and reign over. Wow. So now you understand why the enemy tries to bring rejection and shame so hard against you. 
because he wants you to feel rejected by the very thing that God has called you to rule over. You see? That's why it's so, it's so intense. It's so sinister what the enemy tries to do because he's trying to convince you that you're opposite from the royalty that God has positioned you to always be. This is not a good idea. This is not a self-help thing that comes from Barnes and Nobles, okay? I didn't watch this on a motivational TikTok or anything like that, okay? What this reality is, is it predates social media and technology. It predates any type of self-help message, any, any poster with a cat hanging off of a branch saying, hang in there. It, it precedes all of that. It is the original intent of the Father for you. And God planned it before you ever were even conceived in your mother's womb. God planned it so that way you, could, you would have it as a reality before anything ever happened to you. And so the battle comes in in the first thing, do we believe what God says about us? Do we believe that when he prophesies to us through scripture, when he prophesies us through a prophet or through a powerful worship service, do we have the capacity and the willingness inside of us to believe what he has said about us? That's a major, major component, right? It's a major thing because when we internalize the prophetic word in our life, what it does is it begins to cause a birthing to happen on the inside of us. And that birthing is a partnership between you and God to cause the impossible to happen around you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? And so uh, this is what happens is, is that God brings the animals in front of Adam in Genesis chapter 2. And inside of that verse, it says that he brought the animals before Adam to see what he would name them. Okay, now that verse is very interesting, to see what he would name creation. Could you imagine like, here comes, like, this little puppy, right? Here comes a little puppy dog, comes up in front of Adam. God brings him there. And literally, the word picture, the visual that is in that verse, where God says he's looked to see what Adam would name them, is literally God getting down like this, right next to Adam, and watching the words that come out of his mouth. Could you imagine the the uncreated one, putting him in itself in a position to hear what comes out of Adam's mouth. So my question to you is what is coming out of your mouth? What is coming out of your mouth in the midst of the shaking and the uncertainty around you? Because my encouragement to you is that God is waiting to see what you name your situation. God is waiting to see what comes out of your mouth because what we see after that is it says inside of that scripture that whatever Adam called them, that's what their name was. Again, something very, very interesting because we will miss it if we're not paying attention. But what that means is God is waiting for Adam to name the animals. How many of you know that God didn't need Adam to name the animals? It wasn't like that. It's like he's like, you know what? I've just created the heavens and the earth, but this is out of my skill set, all right? Naming, naming the little animals is not my thing. I don't, I don't know. I, no, no, no. The reason why is because a good father takes pleasure 
in seeing their son, their daughter, doing what their father does. As a proud father, he's looking at Adam saying, this is my boy right here. Let's see how he uses the same thing that I use to create reality around him. Let's see what he does with it. And so that verse where it says that uh, whatever he called him, that's what his name was. This is what the picture is, is that God, in a position of his authority, basically validated and enforced what came out of Adam's mouth. What that meant was that he had to begin to approve in heaven what Adam had spoken on earth so that the reality around Adam would match what he was speaking into existence. What that literally means is that God moved heaven and earth in order to be able to shape the reality around Adam to fit what he would say. So that means that the identity of the animal began to change because the name understand, defines how uh, the animal is going to operate, what it's going to eat, what it's going to do, how it's going to move around, how it's going to reproduce. When Adam names them, he's literally defining the destiny of the very creation that's in front of him. And so what we understand is that even though God created the animals and he created creation and he looked at it and it was good, he was waiting for to, to see what would come out of Adam's mouth to make Make what was good complete. So you look at your life right now and it looks incomplete. You look at the circumstances around you and there's things missing and you're saying, God, why is this happening? And could it be that the reason why is because God is looking at your mouth and he's saying, what are you going to call it? And what are you going to say to cause this thing to come into completeness? That is the responsibility. That is the honor. That is how much God thinks about you. So let me ask you, how many of you are battling with that idea? How many of you have ever thought about that reality in your life before? I know that I didn't until a few years ago. I I know that I didn't believe it. I was still eating nachos. I was eating snacks and watching Netflix a few years ago. Waiting for the next church service and the next thing to happen. I didn't realize that it was in between the church services. It was in the moments where I was waiting that God was saying, okay, now let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let me talk directly to you and let me go ahead and workshop this. Because here's the thing is that what you're learning and what you're knowing in service is only one part of it. But the Lord wants you to know that there is a journey that he is bringing you on that transcends a regular service time. Because God wants you to be an answer to an incomplete world that can only happen where you're in the secret place with him, where you know that he's watching the words that are coming out of your mouth. And he's saying, okay, well, say it like this. Or, you know what, I I understand that this is based on what you've been through, but this is my heart for the situation. That's what we learned this morning about learning to hear God's heart and how to communicate with him is so important. Because what it does is it trains you to be able to speak the impossible into existence. We could go, go really deep into this. But here's one, one example where I, I began to start seeing this as a reality. Because I was always taught, I was like, okay, you know, like early prophet days, prophetic days. You always have those, those people that they, they take in this whole experience where they're like, I am not going to move from this one place until God literally manifests himself in human form before me and tells me to take one step forward. Anybody ever know people like that? 
They're like so petrified, they don't want to move. And they, they believe that um, the, the nature of being led by the Holy Spirit and led by God is basically like, okay, an angel of the Lord, you know, uh, Gabriel comes down. All right, David, it's safe. You can eat now. Oh, thank God. Okay, I'll take a number two with fries, please, and a Coca-Cola, right? We have this idea. But here's the interesting thing is that when you understand what we just talked about, where God is partnering with your voice to create the reality around you, what you realize is that it is not a monkey see, monkey do situation, okay? This is not a Simon Says situation where you're reacting simply by what God tells you. But what you realize is that God has placed something on the inside of you that you are revealing through your study of his word and hearing his voice on a daily basis that then gives you an authority to be able to build with him the reality that he's called you to live in. And so what we see is that the next dimension of the prophetic where you're really moving in a prophetic anointing is more like what Jesus does at the pool of Bethesda. Where how many of you remember the dude, he's just hanging out there, he's been there for years, and he can't get in the water fast enough, you know, because he doesn't have friends that can hook him up and, and push him in the water, you know? What kind of jerk friends does this guy have, you know? Like, you couldn't just spend one afternoon with homeboy and just, like, wait for the water to bubble and just push him in? Like, you didn't have one friend? Like, those are probably the friends that don't help you move on Saturdays, you know? Like, ridiculous the friend circle of this guy. He's just laying there and he's just unable to do anything. He's like, oh, my life is, I'm just a loser. I'm all of these different things. And then Jesus comes up and he's like, well, take your bed up and go walk, go hang out. Like, what, what's the deal? And all of a sudden, dude gets healed. Jesus bypasses every single excuse that he has and is like, oh no, get up, get up, let's go. And he gets up and he goes. So Jesus triggers the Pharisees, right, because of the time of day that he has chosen to do this, because of the fact that he didn't go through all of the religious ceremony and all of these different things. You know, he didn't fast for 30 days or whatever. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't done in the order that the Pharisees liked it. Here's the thing is that oftentimes you're going to confront people that are going to try to catch you on a technicality to try to negate a move of the Holy Spirit that's happening right in front of them, Okay. I just thought I'd sprinkle that in there just like a little, little bit, but that's, that's besides the point. Okay, so Jesus responds to the Pharisees and says this, I only do what I see my father doing. But here's the thing is that when he says that, it's not saying that, okay, Jesus is watching up in heaven, and, and Jesus is like, okay, Father God, I see. Oh, you just, you just healed them. Okay, I'm going to do the same exact thing that you're doing. I'm going to do that because what, what I saw you exactly do it, I'm going to do it here on earth. How many of you know that that's not what that means? When you look at it theologically and you do a breakdown and a word study of that particular passage, what you understand is that Jesus is not saying, I only do like monkey see, monkey do. Uh, I actually, what he's saying is, I am moving in the context, in the spirit of what I see my father doing. You see, because he knows the heart of the Father already. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the, the Father comes and he goes, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, and all of these different things. And so you understand that Jesus has the heart of the Father. And so what he's doing, he's moving in the context of what the Father is doing. Does anybody know what the context of what the Father's doing in that moment? Jesus sees a man who is unable to heal himself. 
and he heals him. Just like the father sent his son to be able to bring salvation to humanity that could not save itself. See, Jesus moves in the context of what he sees the Father doing. And so I, I, that's what I, I began to learn over these last few years. How many of you remember the story I was talking to you about uh, this, like, Yoda-like prophetic figure that mentored me for, like, 10 years, right? And he was, he was this really cool dude. But here's the thing is that I felt half the time like I was in the twilight zone with him. Because there were things that would happen where I would be like, this, does, this like, belongs on, like, a, like a 60-minute special. This is... This is not normal. What I, I began to realize was like the veil between the natural and the spiritual got really, really thin, right? For example, uh, we were one time we were actually in Guatemala. He, he took me on a trip with him to Guatemala, and we were next to the, we were with this mega church pastor, and, and they were talking about the history of Guatemala City. And I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a, um, a statue of a serpent that surrounds the entire city of Guatemala City. It's huge. It's, it's a giant mound that encircles the entire city. And, and the mouth of the serpent ended up right outside the back door of the church we were ministering in. And so right there, right there, I'm like, all right, I'm out, okay? I am out. Because then they started telling me about, like, the Aztecs or, or the Mayans back in the day would sacrifice back Black Panthers by throwing them. And it's, like, one of the gateways to hell. And I'm just like, this is too much history that I don't need to know about because I already have a hard enough sleeping with the McDonald's that I consume on a daily basis. This is not going to help my, my fight for more rest, right? And so they're telling me all of this stuff. And so here's, here's, here's my mentor, and he's like, hmm, interesting. Well, we're going to deal with that today. And I was like, we're going to, no, I'm not dealing with that today. Not today. Not today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to Alamalonga where they have the giant cucumbers and the giant ca carrots. I'm not, I'm not down for this. And he goes, yeah, Prophet David and I, we're going to, we're going to address this today. And I was like, if only I could say no in Spanish. And. And I'm just like really in a hard spot. And he comes and he's like, yeah. And so he says, you know what this serpent represents is the principality over the government. And I was like, that's exactly what I thought. Exactly thought the same thing. Correcto. And, and he goes, so what we're going to do is he said that actually, and this is where it's like Twilight Zone, right? He goes, the principality over Guatemala City is not a serpent, it's a dragon. What? And I was like, again, kind of like weirded out now. And he goes, so when we go to the Capitol building, we're going to declare that the principality of the dragon comes down. And so I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so, again, I, we get in the car. And he says, let's pray. And I was like, we better pray. And in my mind, this is all internal, okay? This is not me, like, on the outside, I'm just, like, so full of faith, just like, yes, awesome. Uh, on the inside, and he, he goes, let's pray. I go, okay, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, he just goes, in the name of Jesus, dragon, you are exposed, and there will be a sign in the heavens that you're coming down. And so I was like, all right. So we start driving towards the city. It's like towards the Capitol building in Guatemala City. 
And all of a sudden, we see the sky like a claw has ripped open the sky above us, and it's flame red. And people are coming out onto the sidewalks to look at this physical manifestation where they said that it looks like fire coming from the sky. And I'm sitting there, and I'm tightening the seatbelt around my van. I'm just like, oh, God, good thing I wore my brown pants today. My goodness. My goodness, this real, I can't. I don't understand what's happening to me. So I'm just saying that when you think about the prophetic and prophecy, there are levels to this, okay? And so I realize in that moment that there is more that I don't know about the power of the voice of God than I do know, okay? And so it was just incredible. So um, here's the crazy thing about that too, is that we were also still in Guatemala and I'm just, I'm laying there and we're, you know, we're, we're sharing a room, you know, uh, and we're hanging out. And it was during a, a, an election, a presidential election in the nation. And all of a sudden, I wake up one morning, okay? Is this okay? Uh, hopefully, like, you children won't have, like, nightmares or anything because, I mean, most of you will probably be interceding all night for victory tomorrow during the team game, so it's okay. Um, this is what happens. I wake up, and this, this woman is standing at the foot of my bed in the middle of the night in Guatemala City, and she looks like something out of, like, one of those end-time Armageddon movies you know, what is it, like uh, 5500 A.D. or whatever? And he's, the, like, facial jewelry, everything looks like a, she basically looks like a Mayan high priestess. And I'm like, in that moment, I was not necessarily full of enough faith because here's the rule. If something manifests in your room that is not supposed to be there, you call on the name of Jesus, right? I called on the name of the prophet that I was bunking with. I was like, prophet! we go! And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I have no more clothes. And I'm just like, what is going to happen? And this, my mentor looks at me, wakes up, looks at it, goes, in the name of Jesus, go. And then goes back to sleep. And I was like, you didn't want to wait for follow through to see if. But like the moment he says it and rolls back to go to sleep, dissipates, gone. So here's the crazy thing was that I'm sitting, we're sitting um, down in, in like a subway train station area and I look at the newsstands and on one of the front pages of the newspaper is the very priestess that was in our room. And it was a Mayan high priestess that was running for a governmental position within the city. And so then my mentor is like, do you remember that conversation I had with you? And I was like, of course I remember. I did not remember. <laughs> Where he's like, he basically told me that we were on this trip for a governmental assignment because God wanted to break that type of witchcraft off of the government so that, the, that, so that revival could come and all of these different things. And I was like, I totally remember that. I did not remember any of that. But here's the interesting thing that happened was that I began to start realizing by being mentored to him, uh, by him, was that there were things that he would do that I wasn't necessarily thinking that he got a direct vision from God to do it a certain way. This is what I mean, is I'm over there and I'm with the uh, one time, here's the thing, I was talking with Minister David and we're like OG gamers, okay? So like we're like PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, you know, Sega Dreams, Dreamcast, you know, 
like the stuff that you don't know anymore because they were just so sad. Um, and so I used to be really, really big in Call of Duty, right? And I was like, but see, I lived in, a, in an area that had horrible internet, right? Uh, so I used to, I was actually really bad at Call of Duty, but I always blame it on the lag time. I was like, oh, you got me again. It's because my Wi-Fi is so slow. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. I'm, it's, not, it's, it's not me, right? Um, I mean, I get murked all the time. It was horrible. And, and so I would play for hours on end. So here's my thing. My, my gaming setup was awesome. I had like a 55-foot TV. I had a good PlayStation. I was like right next up to the TV. I had a desk chair that reclined. I even got a neck pillow that was memory foam. And I was just like locked in all day. And I was like really, really chubby back then. So I could rest like my potato chips on my, on my stomach. And I'd just be like, oh, yeah, come on, respawn. You know, I'm just like going on playing. I'm doing this whole thing. And I'm just living my life, right? And everybody else. And so all of a sudden I get a phone call from my mentor. And he's like, David Fang, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I am praying. I am interceding for revival to come to this nation. I mean, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I was like, I was really just lying. I was, I could, he goes, well, can you take time to, to come with me? I'm coming by your house to pick you up. I was like, of course, I could take time away from prayer. And so, get out, I, I, and it's like, I think it's a ministry thing, so I start putting on like my Bible college uniform, you know, like Dockers, and then like a button-down shirt, and then, you know, I like comb my hair to the side, and I just like, okay, I'm ready for ministry, where are we going? And he, so he pulls up in his black Lincoln Navigator, I hop in there, and I'm just like, oh, nice, what are we doing? There's a few other guys in there, and I'm like, what are we doing? Where are we going, right? I'm just like ready to roll, and he goes, we're going to the club, and I was like, whoa, this is awesome, right? Because I was like still like only 85% saved at that time. And he's like, and I was like, what do you mean, prophet? We're going to the club? We're we going to dance? And I was like, I am not dressed appropriately for the club <laughs> at all. And so he's like, what in the world is going on? And he goes, we're going to the nightclub because we're getting ready to do an extraction. And this was a time when 20, like the show 24 was really big and Jack Bauer, you know? And he, like, he was like anti-terrorism. So when he said extraction... I was, like, already practicing, like, my chokeholds. Like, I was like, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Let go, right? I was just like, when you're Navy SEALs, you know, like, Navy SEALs dressed in Dockers and polo shirts just descending on you from our Lincoln Navigator to come get you. And I'm just like, yeah, let's do this. We're going to do an extraction in the club. And he goes, yeah, I got a phone call from this one family that we know, and their son uh, is actually a professional musician, but he's been traveling with his band, and he just told them that he, he never wants to see them ever again, and he's under a spell, and he's trapped inside of this band. And, and, and so... Uh, my friends asked if we could go and get him out. And I was like, listen, I went to the gym one time. I'm ready. But he said this. He says, we're getting ready to go in the nightclub, but I want you to know that I have prophetic eyes in the back of my head. And if I see you looking below the neckline of anybody inside of that club, I will excommunicate you and you will spend the rest of your life in hell. Okay, so he was just like doing that whole thing, right? So again, my mentor doesn't play, okay? So... Uh, and so I was just like, okay, so we go up to this nightclub, and we're up in there, and, and I'm just like, yeah, here we are. It's like, it's Panama City, Florida, right? So it's like spring break capital of the world, you know? So I'm like, yeah, we're here. And the hostess is at the front, and she goes, what are you guys doing here? What do you want? You know, because again, we're dressed like the boys' prayer choir from like Eastern University, you know? And it's just like Southern Baptist College or whatever. We're like, you know, Abeka Books, you know, homeschool, <laughs> just out there. You know, and for me, you know, I got some New York in me. I'm like, we're here to party. I mean, we're here for an extraction, right? 
And so my mentor go, goes up and he goes, well, we're prophets and we're here uh, on an assignment. And I was like, oh, he's obviously never been to a club because I've been here many times and that does not work. Does not work. There are many other reasons you could give. Divine intervention, I, it's not going to work. The hostess pauses like she's being arrested. And she goes, of course, absolutely come this way. Pulls the rope back, we go. And she walks us straight to the VIP corner section and says, please come here and sit. And so people are looking, you know, at the Vienna Boys Choir coming into the VIP. And they're just like, what is the, what are these fools, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, that's right, intervention, you know? And so we come in there, we sit down, and the ladies, you know, just like, hey, can we get you a bottle service? And I was like, just water for me. And then so we just are back there, and we're just chilling. The band comes out to play, right? And, and, and so we're sitting there. And again, we're just chilling. We're just sitting. And I'm like, all right, well, what, what's going to happen? The band comes out to play. They're starting to play. We see the guy, the boy, you know, that's, that's playing in the band. I'm like, all right, this is it. Here we go. 7,500 hours of Call of Duty has prepared me for this one moment. You know, I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm getting, where's the AKs, all this stuff. And I'm just getting ready. I'm just ramped, right? And then prophet, this prophet is just sitting there, just like moving his head to the music. And I'm just like, what is going on? What is happening? And then finally, it, be, it starts to end, and they're finishing up their set. And then he gets up, and he goes, I'm going to be right back. And so he goes to the front of the crowd where the band is, is, is tearing down. He goes right up to the lead singer. And what I'm seeing from the back in the VIP section is he goes right up to the singer, doesn't even talk to the young guy that we're here to get. And he looks at the lead singer, shakes his hand, and then walks right back to the VIP and says, all right, we're good, let's go. Talk about anticlimactic. I mean, I was just, like, hyped on adrenaline, and I was like, oh, it's going to take, like, 30 more hours of Call of Duty to, like, bring myself down from this. And so we get in the car, and, and I'm just like, what in the, like, what, did, is that it? He goes, yeah, it's done. He's going to be home in, in a few days. And I was like, what just happened? And he said, oh, simply, simple. I went up to the lead singer. I instantly knew that he was a warlock. And so what I did was that when I shook his hand, I declared that the silver cord would be cut. And I was like, of course that's what you did, because that's what I would have done. <laughs> and again, this internal dialogue, I'm really, really sarcastic, you know, internally. And, and I'm just like doing this whole thing, and he goes, yeah, it's done. He's going to be home. Two days later, his friends call and say that their son called them from a payphone and said, Mom, Dad, I don't know what I've done, but can you please come and get me and bring me home? So here's the crazy thing was that he said, Warlock, cut the silver cord, it's done. I asked him about it later. I said, is that what God showed you to do? He goes, no, that's just what I want him to do. He said, I knew that God wanted to set him free, and so I just did it. Very similar to when God moved heaven and earth to back up the words that Adam spoke over creation. Your reality, when you operate in the context of what God has for your life, gives you an ability to be able to create the supernatural manifestation of the kingdom around you in a way that will blow your mind. I'm going to invite the keyboard 
uh, crew to come on up as we begin to do this. Because I believe that tonight is a night of impartation where you no longer seek the voice of God to simply foretell your future, but you seek the voice of God to give you the context of what he's doing so that then you can prophesy out of your mouth a word that God can move heaven and earth to reinforce. So there are some of us here that we are faced with an impossible situation inside of our life. There are things that are going on, and we're saying, God, why haven't you moved in this situation? And I believe that there are many of those moments where God is saying, I'm not going to do it for you because I want to develop something in you that has the capacity to rule and reign this. So you are not in a season of being a victim. You are not in a season where you are just simply a victim to your circumstances and the things that try to rob you of your hope, but you are in the midst of a training ground where the things that have made you afraid before will not make you afraid in this season. Those things that have made you feel uh, like you don't matter and that you don't have power, God wants to begin to give you a word on the inside of you where you are no longer going to run, but you're going to confront the enemy and watch God move to back you up. Some of you are waiting for a victory, but God is waiting for you to stand so that he can reinforce you you see because there's one thing when your dad fights your battles for you there's another thing when your dad takes you to the gym to teach you how to box there's a difference and God wants to do the same thing for you so I want to invite you to stand tonight Because God is waiting for you to manifest what he's placed in you. And he's looking not as an authoritarian, not as someone who's waiting for you to mess up. He's looking at you as a father who is so excited because what you will say is going to make him so proud of you. Joshua 10, verse 10, the Lord, uh, this is the interesting thing is that in verse seven, so Joshua and his entire army started running and marching. And the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, do not be afraid of them, for I've given you victory over them. God has a theme that he's speaking over you. And in the case of Joshua, What it was, was he says, I'm giving you the victory in the face of victimization. I'm giving you the victory where the enemy would try to rob what I've given you. I'm I'm giving you the victory even though you've been marching all night and you're exhausted and you're tired. And when you get there, you're going to have to fight. I have given you the victory where the natural circumstances are saying one thing, but my word is saying another thing. So Joshua, I can't even imagine, he's running this battle. He's marching on his way. And can you imagine that this man has to repeat in his mind and in his heart, he has to internalize the word of the Lord as his army is slowing down because they're tired, as they're running out of resources and food. And he's there and he's saying, the Lord has given me the victory. The Lord has promised me victory. I refuse to bow down to these circumstances. I'm choosing to believe the prophetic word of the Lord. This is what happens. Verse 10, the Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. 
Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda. So what we see in that moment is that God doesn't leave Joshua to fight the battle alone. But instead, he sends a panic into Joshua's enemies where they're literally not able to do or make sense of anything that's around them. And then what happens is that the Lord begins to fight with Joshua for the victory. But here's the crazy thing that happens. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. And he said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. You see, Joshua, in the moment where God is fighting with him, he's believing the prophetic word. What you're seeing in the battle is God shaping his reality to match a word of victory rather than a reality of defeat. And so Joshua is in this world where he's surrounded by prophetic fulfillment and he's looking and he's saying, it's happening, it's happening. Well, which you've shown me, God, it's happening all around me. And out of this place of faith where he partners with God, he points at the sun and he commands the sun to stand still. He commands the moon to stay in its place. God didn't tell him to do that, but out of his heart, because he's moving in the context of what the Father is doing, he prophesies a word that literally causes heaven and earth to bend in on itself to respond to. Verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. God will follow through with what he's called you to do all the way to the end. Now, here's the crazy thing. This is the thing that I want to end with and that I want to pray for you is that is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. People are going to look at your life if you take this revelation and you start speaking the reality, you start prophesying over your situation, people are going to say, this is not normal. People are going to say, what you're doing is not normal. It defies normal logic, and yet it's happening. Now, verse 14 is my favorite, favorite one in this story. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a command. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Never at any point before had man, a man been able to command something from God and God respond. But the reason why is because Joshua was speaking what was coming out of his mouth was in alignment with the heart of the Father all along. 
I want to invite you to come up front right now. Just go ahead and make your way up here because I want to pray this over you. I believe that God is going to begin to give you a spirit of boldness on your life. God is going to begin to start uh, downloading his word and his voice over you constantly. He's going to start pouring it out over and over and over again. And what God is going to do is out of the boldness and out of the context of what he shows you, you're going to prophesy. What God has shown you, what he's sharing with you, you're going to speak it out of your mouth. You're going to come up with plans and ideas and solutions that then you're going to speak and God is going to move heaven and earth to be able to enforce it. Amen. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.